A first-time mom was lying on her side in the hospital bed with pain that felt like the worst cramps in her life and pressure, pressure in her back, in her abdomen, in her vagina. She took purposeful deep breaths in and out as the pain decreased slowly. The pain gradually picked up again as her next contraction started three minutes later. The pain was the worst pain she had ever felt in her life. She had heard epidurals can help with labor pain, but she was afraid of the needle, the medications. What will it do to the baby? She didn't want to take any medications that would cause harm to the baby. But the pain was so bad. She was so tired from being in pain. She hadn't slept in almost 24 hours. Was this the worst pain she will feel or will it get worse? Welcome to The Hurt by Dr. Mira Kirpaker and Dr. Alopi Patel. We are the female pain docs. This is a platform to contribute to the public discourse on women's pain and general health. We are here to empower women and men to engage in the advancement of their health with discussions of evidence-based medicine, unconventional topics, lifestyle modifications, and more. The views contained in this podcast are our personal views and do not represent the views of our institutions. This does not substitute medical advice. Please be evaluated by a physician if necessary. Welcome to Season 1 of The Hurt. On today's episode, we're going to discuss labor epidurals, meaning epidurals used during childbirth to help mom have pain relief during delivery. This is always a controversial topic. It really is. But Alibi, you have a unique view of the situation because you can tell us about your experience. Yes. And I must say that being a patient is very different than being a physician. I really had to step back and think about how to get into the patient role rather than think like a doctor. But I'm so happy that I had one. And we will discuss all of the benefits of an epidural as well as some of the possible side effects on today's episode. And we've actually received feedback that our listeners appreciate the historical backgrounds in each episode. So let's briefly delve into the history of labor epidurals. Dr. K, do you want to tell us a little bit more? Absolutely. And I want to start off by saying that Dr. P and I have learned so much ourselves as we research information and prepare for each podcast. You know, as physicians, we're not always taught or even aware of the historical background or implications of diseases or medical advances. So it's really thanks to the feedback of our listeners that we're going to try to incorporate the historical context of each subject that we speak about. And it's really helped us understand the field of medicine better ourselves. So let's get to it. Although the concept of an epidural was first conceived in the 1800s, it wasn't until the 20th century that epidurals were used for childbirth, around the 1940s to be exact. Now, historically, it was presumed that certain religions discouraged medicines in childbirth as it was considered blasphemy. So instead, they encouraged incense and prayer for women to bear the pain. Now, this concept began to change when Queen Victoria used chloroform for her childbirth in 1853. And at that time, she was the head of the Church of England. So the religious opposition to medicinal pain relief during childbirth decreased. And as more was understood about the spinal anatomy and various techniques were attempted, the concept of using an epidural for childbirth was first born in 1942. No pun intended. The wife of a U.S. Coast Guard was brought into a Marine hospital for an emergency C-section, and she had a history of severe heart problems, and so they wanted to avoid general anesthesia if possible. So they attempted a continuous epidural catheter for the C-section, and both mommy and baby survived. 
And we can't end this historical context without mentioning Dr. Gertie Marks. Dr. Marks is known as the mother of obstetrical anesthesia and pioneered the use of labor epidurals for birth. She was an early advocate for implementing epidurals during childbirth and showed that they were safe and effective. So we really do owe Dr. Marks not just for the pain relief of childbirth, but also for the safe use of epidurals, since they are used in the majority of births in the United States. I love hearing stories of women who have made an impact in medicine. And what a way to incorporate Dr. Marks into Women's History Month podcast. So let's get into what is a labor epidural exactly. So a labor epidural is used to manage the pain in childbirth. Now we casually say epidural as the procedure, but the epidural space actually is an anatomical location and a catheter is what is being placed into that space. An epidural catheter is a tiny catheter that is placed into the epidural space of the spine to administer small amounts of local anesthetic near the nerves that cause pain during childbirth. The local anesthetic and sometimes very small amounts of opioids, like fentanyl or hydromorphone, are infused at low levels to numb the mother from the waist down. This allows the mother to be pain-free, but still awake and alert enough to welcome her newborn when the time comes. It's one of the most common and safest methods of pain control during childbirth. And over 66% of women opt to have an epidural during their labor. So when can you actually ask for an epidural while in labor? Well, technically speaking, an epidural is available whenever you are admitted into the hospital for childbirth, whether you are minimally dilated or even in no pain. The whole process takes about 10 to 15 minutes and sometimes longer, depending on positioning and epidural anatomy. The process starts by first confirming that you are eligible for an epidural by assessing that there are no contraindications to epidural placement, such as blood clotting issues or blood thinners that may increase your risk of bleeding. Once you are confirmed that you can safely get an epidural, the anesthesiologist will be called by the OB team, and in the interim, you will be hooked up to IV fluids. The anesthesiologist will then do a pre-evaluation to confirm your medical history, including previous anesthesia history, allergies, medications, and more. They'll get your signature with informed consent after explaining the risks and benefits of an epidural, which we will talk about shortly. So let's talk about how you can prepare for the epidural. So to actually get the epidural, you have to sit with your shoulders relaxed and your back curved in a C shape. Sometimes we'll say something like, carve your back like a shrimp. And you do that for about five, maybe 10 minutes. If your contractions are already progressing, it might be best to get the epidural earlier rather than later, because setting can get a lot harder as labor progresses. The anesthesiologist will first start by feeling your back and pushing on the bony landmarks to understand the anatomy and determine where to place the initial injection. They'll then place numbing medication with a tiny needle, so you'll feel something like a tight pinch when it's going in. Once they put the numbing medication, they'll use a slightly bigger needle to slowly advance until they're in the epidural space. And once they're in the epidural space in the back, they'll thread a small catheter to infuse medications continuously. And once that epidural catheter is placed, most hospitals will require a Foley catheter to be placed, which is a catheter in the bladder, to allow urine to be drained as the epidural can cause difficulty with voiding of urine. But because you've had that epidural and you're probably a little bit numb at that point, you really won't feel that catheter going in. Most hospitals will not allow the mother to walk as the epidural can cause weakness in the legs. Once an epidural is in, most of the pain will be reduced, but the mother may still feel some abdominal or even rectal pressure. And another common myth 
is that an epidural will slow down labor or even increase the risk of having a C-section. Now, there have been many studies over the years with some conflicting evidence, but the overwhelming evidence shows that there is no correlation between having an epidural and getting a C-section. A woman may require a C-section for a multitude of reasons, including a slow progression of labor, which can be due to many different factors. Now, there are many different reasons that a patient may require a C-section, and often the patients associate the necessity of having a C-section with them receiving an epidural. Traditionally, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommended delaying epidurals in nulliparous women, or women that have not yet delivered any children, until they were at least four to five centimeters dilated. However, more evidence is coming out that epidurals do not increase the risk of C-section. And the comfort of the mother is more important as each woman experiences pain differently. Women who are two to three centimeters dilated may subjectively feel much worse than women who are farther along. And so it is best to treat the pain rather than abide by a number such as cervical dilation. We should also note that literature has shown that epidurals do not slow down the first stage of labor, but they can slow down the second stage of labor or the pushing stage of labor by about 15 minutes. And also one more note, in the event that you do require a C-section for whatever reason, the epidural can actually be used as the primary anesthesia for the incision instead of needing a general anesthesia, which can come with its own risks in a laboring patient. So that is another potential benefit of having an epidural. So epidurals are very effective in treating labor pain with almost no pain being felt and having minimal side effects. The risks are low and the side effects are treatable. So the most common side effects include a slight drop in blood pressure that can be treated with medication. Another condition that can occur is a headache, also known as a postural puncture headache. So it's important for me to say that this is not a dangerous or life-threatening headache, but it is a special kind of headache where the pain is brought on by sitting up or standing up and can go away by lying down. So if a postural puncture headache were to occur, it typically happens about 24 hours after the epidural is placed. And that's because the headache is brought on by a potential puncture of the dura, which is the protective coating of the spinal cord with spinal fluid. And as that spinal fluid leaks out, there's a potential for a headache that could last a few days or longer. Now, these headaches can be treated conservatively with fluids, caffeine, and medications like Tylenol. So in rare instances, if the pain does not improve after a few days, an epidural blood patch can be done to fill the epidural space with blood to patch the hole. Now, this is a similar process as the initial epidural where we use the needle to find the epidural space, but this time we put in some of your own blood into the epidural space to patch that space that might be leaking some spinal fluid. Now, the chances of this headache happening in the first place are extremely low and usually less than 1%. And then the other very rare complications of epidurals include nerve damage, blood clot, or infection. Now, these are extremely rare, so we're not even going to get into them because we rarely, if ever, see them. And another common myth that women have regarding labor epidurals is that having a labor epidural will cause them to have chronic lower back pain. Now, this has been debunked many times in literature. During pregnancy, a woman's pelvis goes through many mechanical changes, including in their ligaments, muscles, pelvic tilt, center of gravity, and more. And all of these changes are to accommodate the baby but they can cause stress to the body. The pelvic ligaments and pelvic structure return to their normal structure over time, but often some of the anatomy is changed and can cause some degree of misalignment. 
manifesting by placing pressure in different parts of the body, such as the sacroiliac joint or the lumbar bones. And this pain may become chronic in nature, and often women associate it to the epidural that they received. It's also important to note for women with pre-existing back pain or leg pain due to potential nerve irritation, that they don't overstretch their legs and pelvis during the pushing period, since the epidural will have them be numb from the leg down and they may not notice that they're causing further nerve irritation. Now, many mothers are also concerned that an epidural can cause harm to the baby. Now, there is no evidence that suggests that an epidural can cause cerebral palsy or long-term effects on the baby. And in fact, there was a controversial paper that came out recently implying epidural anesthesia is mildly associated with autism. Now, multiple professional societies, including the American Society of Anesthesiologists, the Society of Obstetric Anesthesia and Perinatology, and the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, have addressed the flaws of the study and made a statement regarding the validity of the findings. So the following is a quote from that statement. Quote, While the authors speculate about mechanisms like maternal fever that could explain a link between epidural pain relief and autism, none of these are plausible or confirmed in the analysis. Epidural analgesia involves administering small amounts of dilute local anesthetics and opioids into the mother's epidural space. Very low levels of these drugs are transferred to the infant, and there is no evidence that these very low levels of drug exposure can cause harm to the infant's brain. We urge women to continue to choose safe ways to relieve pain, including epidurals, for a positive childbirth experience. Our organizations will continue to foster research and education in all aspects of childbirth care, including the safety of labor analgesia for mother and child. Some women also worry that having an epidural means that they will be paralyzed for the birthing process. It's important to understand that although you will be numb, you will still be able to move your legs. Numbness is a temporary sensation due to the continuous infusion of local anesthetic. The risk of truly permanent paralysis is extremely low with rates estimated to be 1 in 20,000 to even 1 in 80,000, meaning 0.00125%. But they're likely even lower than this. Even when I had an epidural, even though I was numb, I was able to change my position and move as necessary to get comfortable in the bed and still have adequate pain relief. However, I will say that although you can move in the bed, you cannot necessarily walk because you can still have some weakness in your legs. Having an epidural was life-changing for me. You can actually rest while you're having contractions and still have the energy to push when it's time to, rather than being exhausted from the pain itself. Millions of women receive epidurals for pain relief worldwide and give birth without complications to mother or baby. Now, this is the current gold standard for pain relief for the laboring mother, and it's very safely provided all across the country and the world. So some other institutions may also offer nitrous oxide, also known as laughing gas, IV pain medications, or TENS unit, which is a transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. So a TENS patch can be placed on the back and it helps essentially trick the nerves into feeling lesser pain from the contractions due to the distracting electrical nerve stimulation from the TENS unit. And although all of these methods can help with pain relief, none of them are as effective as an epidural. We hope we were able to clear up some myths about labor epidurals. It is best to discuss your individualized risks and benefits of an epidural with your OB and your anesthesiologist. Most women can safely receive an epidural and have no side effects or complications. Always ask questions to your medical team if you have any concerns. We are all here to help. 
We would love to hear your thoughts. Visit our Instagram at thefemalepaindocs for more content. Send us an email at thefemalepaindocs at gmail if you have any topics in particular you would like us to discuss. You can also visit our website at www.thefemalepaindocs.com. See you next time.